This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Astrum Lux Lucis. Right, welcome to another episode of On the Record. I am your host, Astrum Lux Lucis. And this week's guest is a talented singer-songwriter whose music sounds like falling in love. It sounds like acceptance and sensuality and raw, vulnerable humanness. With an aching, soul-touching voice, her award-winning songs inspire people to goosebumps and wrap them up in velvet. Mm, I want some of that. <laughs> she recently ran a $31,000 Kickstarter to fund her long-awaited next album. She just finished recording that self-titled re-debut album with producer Eric Ross, who was the producer for Maroon 5, Gavin DeGraw, and Chris Isaac, as well as the breakthrough records of Sarah Bareilles, Tori Amos, and Anna Malik. Joining her in the studio were drummer Matt Chamberlain, who played with Fiona Apple, Sarah McLaughlin, and Dido, and bassist Mark Brown, who played with Patty Griffin, Emily Harris, and Jewel. She started out belting Billie Holiday, Beatles, and Bob Dylan tunes a cappella on the streets of Pike Place Market in Seattle. Since then, she's performed on NPR, recorded a commercial for Target, moved to Austin, won Billboard's annual songwriting contest, had several songs placed in movies and TV shows, and toured the country playing over 700 clubs, theaters, festivals, television shows, and radio shows. Without further ado, please welcome the lovely and talented Elise Black. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being here. It's uh, really going to be a great interview. Um, I've enjoyed kind of doing my little pre-guest internet stalking and enjoyed some of your videos and um <laughs> You do have, like, I'm putting out so many videos, too. Yeah, like you're like pimping it. I'm like, wow, man. So a lot of questions there about your software and all that. But yeah. before we kind of get into to that kind of thing, I would love to know uh, the little girl with the dream. Tell us about her and how did you get started, you know, aside from on the streets of, of Seattle. You know, before that, what, what got you started in uh, going down this path of music? Uh, yeah, definitely. My my father was a ragtime um, and kind of old classic jazzy bluesy sort of pianist, um, and uh, and he would play. And eventually, he taught me some some songs both to play and um, mostly to sing. And uh, and so he and I would would jam. And um, and then he was my first uh, first pianist when I first got on stage by myself to sing. Uh, the sun will come out tomorrow from Annie. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, and so that was kind of my start. And I uh, I knew I always loved music. I knew that um, I was fascinated by performers on a level um, that I didn't see other people around me have. But it wasn't from a standpoint of I want to go enjoy their their music. It was very much from a standpoint of like literally picturing myself in their position while they were doing it all. And um, and feeling myself, you know, engage and and be there. Um, so uh, so then, you know, fast forward up through teen years, I uh, I I definitely trained on so many different instruments. Um, 
for periods of time. But the one that, you know, I always stuck with was voice. Um, and lots of people are like, oh, she has such an untrained, you know, natural voice. And this, that, and the other. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but regardless, I, uh, I got to be about, um, I got to be near the end of high school, and, and I, I studied abroad in a number of countries, and I came to the very distinct conclusion that um, it was completely impractical to go into the arts, um, period, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that I needed to do something responsible, um, especially after I came back from studying in Germany for a year. Um, I lived with a family of doctors who were all very like, that's a very nice hobby. And the funny thing is that they would have me sing it at all of their gatherings. They'd have, like, single me out and have me sing a bunch of different songs, a lot of summertime and stuff like that, um, old tunes. And, uh, and they're still like, like um, that's fantastic, best I've ever heard. You should definitely be a doctor or a computer scientist or something like that. Um, <laughs> People had the best. I, mean, I try and hear, um, I try and look back to all the times that I was discouraged um, by people who loved me as them just using discouraging me as a way to say, I love you. I want the best for you. I don't want you to struggle because good God, it is a struggle. Um, mm-hmm. Even if you're doing it intelligently, a music career is, is not, you know, kicking back and taking it easy all the time. Um, so yeah, so that gets, that gets us up to uh, me going to college and getting a lot of degrees and other things that were very responsible. Uh, and and getting done with college and starting in the corporate world and in a job that was, I think all of my friends' dream job. They were all very jealous of of what the consulting job that I got. And um, after about three or four months there, I was um, I was sitting at the top of a of a skyscraper um, talking with you know a CEO about what they should do with their company. Like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> coming straight out of college um, and, uh, and I looked over and I was like that is really odd that those windows are latchable and you can open them way up here and, um, and I had been crying myself to sleep every night I thought there was no way out of the path I had taken um, that um, that I couldn't do what I wanted with my life uh, and that everyone would be so disappointed and um, and such, uh, and uh, and so I was I was considering you know what you could do with that window outside of get some air and um, and something shook me after I had been thinking that for a couple of days of these meetings and um, I was like what has gone so wrong that I would consider suicide over just doing what I want with my life and I you know would I rather be poor and alive or you know dead and have a really nice you know, 401k. Um, and, uh, and so I, I quit. And, uh, and, you know, everybody had such good intentions and they're like, holy shiznizzle, what do you think you're doing? And, um, you know, a lot of what I thought would happen, you know, everybody's freaking out. Um, but you live and you get through it and you figure out your plan and you, you try and do it. So that gets you up to, uh, to me deciding to sing on the streets of Pike Place Market for a living. Wow. And, and so uh, that had to be, like, seriously scary. I mean, on so many levels, because first you're thinking, um, my life just sucks so bad that I don't even want to be in it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you go from that to, 
okay, I'm going to like just throw everything to the wind and I'm going to follow my passion, which, you know, is predominantly a path of, you know, never knowing when you're going to eat again because nobody, (laughs) nobody really appreciates the arts. So you don't get paid. (laughs) So you go from making a lot of money and being unhappy to, you know, now you're like following your passion, but you don't know how to eat, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and, uh, and, I, I do think that, in a way, I, what I chose to do instead was not to jump out that window, but to throw, you know, the comfort that I had known as far as my direction out the window. Um, so there was a lot, there was a suicide of sorts that went on that day, but it was more of a standpoint of um, giving up on all these expectations that people had on me uh, and on what I was supposed to do uh, yeah. and becoming, you know, this new person that followed her instincts and and uh cared about making a difference on a bigger level so yeah yeah good stuff yeah yeah it's like there's this philosopher named jeff foster who talks about it as the divine suicide yeah so it's where where you are basically doing that you are taking everything you've ever known yep and just getting you know putting it to death it's it's yeah. over with it's done i'm never going to be that person ever again i'm stepping into yeah. a new person we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Astrum Lux Luce's host of On the Record, and it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep On the Record on the air for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On The Record. You can contact me at ashram at ontherecord.rocks. That's ashram, A-S-T-R-U-M, at ontherecord.rocks to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep On The Record on the air one more year. Hi, I'm Dr. Mesh Seibel, a leading authority on women's wellness and menopause. A recent article in the New England Journal of Medicine found that most women are confused or afraid of estrogen, and many doctors aren't comfortable treating them. My new book called The Estrogen Window just hit number one bestseller status on Amazon. Find out what women are so excited about. Order your copy now at estrogenwindowbook.com and become a partner in your health care. And we're back, and we're speaking with singer-songwriter extraordinaire Elise Black on the record. Now you're singing on the streets of Pike Place, and what's happening for you? Are you, you know, you've got your... Uh, what well, instrument are you playing, and how are you doing the, all that? The thing is, is I had I had been subverting um, my passion for music um, and even theater and everything for um, for a good number of years at that point. So at that point, I kind of sucked, um, and uh, I kind of I kind of needed to just get out there and perform every day. But um, but it was fast. It was amazing how fast um, that came back. Uh, and it was amazing how fast it went from people going by. And by the way, people tell you exactly what they think of you when they sing on, you sing on the street. So it's actually 
insanely good training for um, just kind of growing your your balls and your uh, your conviction and your um, your thick skin. So uh, so you know people telling me what they thought of it and you know not necessarily being very kind. Um, up to people starting to put, you know, fives and tens in my tip jar and get their picture taken and asked to take a video and ask me if I would join their bands. I had a couple of metal bands and such asked me if I would join their bands um, <laughs> right on. while I was down there. And I was like, have you been listening? I mean, I'm singing Billy Holiday and Bob Dylan and Beatles and Joni Mitchell and, you know, things like that. And I'm like, have you listened to a damn thing I've sung? Um, <laughs> And uh, and so then, um, but then one day actually, uh, this fantastic guy named Mike Whiskey, uh, who is actually a, a badass human rights lawyer, um, who's got some great stories along those lines, the WTO case in Seattle and a couple other humongous international cases on the on human rights problem. Um, but is a great jazz pianist and had a jazz band that played locally, and uh, and he came by and he listened for a bit while he was eating a sandwich. And they said, hey, you're using our singer for tonight. You're really good. You should come sing with us. Um, and uh, I didn't think I was going to do it until I actually left for it um, that night. Ended up singing a couple tunes with them and joining the band. And then he and I branched off and formed our own band. Um, all while I worked up my own songs and, and started recording in the studio separately um, for my very first record. So, yeah. Craziness ensued all from busting it out on Pike Place Market streets. So now you're in the Skies band, and what, how was that for you? Let's see. Uh, he was fantastic, um, and we ended up um, doing, doing a regular gig um, together um, for quite some time. And it kind of gave me the confidence I needed to get used to, um, to being on a microphone, to being... Uh, performing to keeping uh keeping people interested and uh, and such uh and had just have a regular thing and then meanwhile i recorded at a place called studio x in seattle which um you know is where i think nirvana and a bunch of it has some humongous names all over the walls etc from people who recorded there but uh yeah i i i'm I managed to talk them into taking me in some of their free time and uh, and some of my favorite musicians around town. And we recorded, you know, 12 of the first songs I wrote, which was, looking back, not a smart idea. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was my first record that came out in 2007. Wow. Now, yeah. on this journey, was there any kind of... Um, you know, you're in, in corporate America, and if you're a consultant, you've, you're pretty much probably planning things out and, you know, c- sort of creating visions and missions for people. Did you do anything of that nature when you decided to leave corporate America and follow your passion? Did you create a vision for yourself or any, any kind of thing like that? Or did you just kind of, let's throw it out there and see what sticks type of thing? Um, I'm a com- I'm someone who like loves school supplies and office supplies and uh, <laughs> and planning things. And then um, I simply don't follow plans very well, um, but I'm really good at the um, shotgun, um, get out there and wing it and adjust as you go along sort of approach. Um, so you, I mean, if if you wanted to, you know, take snapshots of me 
over the years and um, and what I've done, it probably swings wildly back and forth between planning and then throwing the whole plan out the window. I mean, not that the plan doesn't inform the then shotgun method of going about things, uh, but um, but I I think one of the reasons I don't I didn't want to be in corporate America why corporate America just doesn't sit well with me personally, and I think this is pretty common, which is um, that I don't necessarily do that well with authority. Um, mm. And a plan seems too much like authority, I think, for my brain, um, <laughs> even if it's my own authority over myself. <laughs> here's the thing. When you, go, when you go into music, you have, whether you know it or not, to take it on a small business, and you have to be your own boss. And that is really damn hard because there are tons of opportunities all around you, but you need to go out and put in insane sweat, you know, sweat equity in the, in the situation and, you know, write a hundred venues and write, you know, you know, 50 publications um, and write, you know, whatever, whatever the sweat equity needs to be. And then go out to live music a lot and see people and engage and be part of the scene. That is something that I have not done well over the years, but the more and more I do it, the more things take off for me on a local level. Um, so, so it's amazing how much it's hard for people who've now chosen a job that um, doesn't involve a boss, um, how much you need to snap to and become your own boss and, and kind of force yourself to hunker down to a, a, a bit of a plan, even if the plan is, okay, I'm going to sit at my computer for the next four hours and do nothing but email venues. Um, that's still a plan. It's not a particularly well thought out one. Um, but, uh, but it is a plan and it does require a lot of self-discipline and you know you make compromises with yourself you say I can only have that next cup of coffee if I you know email 10 more venues or if I email 10 more um, you know media outlets of some sort or something like that um, or if I learn this riff on the guitar if I um, you know whatever your, your thing is that you need to do and you really have all those hats to wear um yeah. yeah, you have to find a way to, to bribe yourself into it to, to make that person who doesn't particularly like having a boss um, learn how to be bossed around. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I like know, the kind of the, the reward principle there. Like, you know, if you, well, if you just, if you eat your peas, you get to have the ice cream. Right. <laughs> 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 We're going to take a short break and listen to Elise Black's Seven Shades of Blue.
Seven Shades Blue by Elise Black. We're currently speaking with singer-songwriter Elise Black on the record. How do you get inside of, because that's basically self-motivation. So aside from the reward principle, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's that part of the you that's going to be like, well, screw it. I'm just going to eat the ice anyhow. You know what I mean? So yeah. what's that part of you that has you... Um, be able to go to the computer and sit down to write the venues and go through all that yeah. that just agonizingly painful, tedious office crap that yeah you know you have to do you really do have to have do, to do. Yeah. like what's you, what's the thing that really motivates you besides like okay if I do this I get to have a cup of coffee <laughs> you know? good God if there is one thing you let me know but in the meantime I have a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Um, one I use a lot is the five-minute principle of if you, just, if, you, if you just sit down a lease and you just do five minutes, then, you know, then you can have a little um, break or something like that, and, um, and it'll be okay. And then once you get going for five minutes, you, you build some momentum. Um, another thing that um, and see that I keep doing it in general, or at least it doesn't seem so bad to keep doing it, because the literally – the difference between where you are now and where you want to be is your willingness to be uncomfortable. Um, and mm. so remembering that and putting that into practice um, of whether or not you're willing to be uncomfortable and be bad at that guitar lick until you get good at that guitar lick or um, bad at um, or not, not wanting to send out the booking emails or, um, or the industry interaction emails or, you know, the, whatever the, you know, social media 
interactions for the day, not wanting to do that, yes, there's some small discomfort. Are you being tortured? Are your children being tortured in front of you? No. Like, it's not that bad. It's just a mild discomfort that we don't want to deal with. Or not knowing. That's another thing, is that when you sit down, you don't necessarily know what you should be doing. You have to figure it out. And the not knowing is a very uncomfortable place for humans to be. Um, and then another trick that I use a lot is literally every morning um, reading something that inspires me and keeping, keeping going on books that inspire me. Just read a chapter every morning. Um, definitely something that's going to get you jazzed up about what you, whatever is going on for you in life. Um, you know, and that can be anything from you know, booking and, or developing artistry to um, just self-motivation in general or you know, how to raise your kids better if you have kids or whatever the heck your thing is you have going on. But, I mean, right now I'm working on the 10X principle, and that's very much about, um, okay, if you want, you know, 10 gigs this month, figure out what you would have to do to get 100 gigs this month and do that uh, next month because it's really not smart to book your gigs the same month. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it very much comes from a standpoint of um, don't settle for, you know, what you think you need. Um, think of what you want and then multiply that by a bunch and figure out what you have to do to get that. You think in a whole different realm when you think from that place of instead of how would I make 40 grand next year as a musician, how would I make 400 grand next year as a musician? Um, you just, your whole mindset shifts when you think about how you do that. You can't play, um, you know, enough $100 gigs to make it to that level. <laughs> and, um, and so even though you probably won't make it to necessarily $400,000, thinking that you can and how could you do it is incredibly imperative, I think. Um, another thing that really helps me uh, is, is just to build wins. And some of them will have to be small to start with. Start with a couple small wins, especially in the morning, having something you do every morning that makes you feel like you got it accomplished, gets you in a mindset of accomplishment, um, and it's amazing how hard work becomes not hard work when you feel like you are winning. <laughs> we can make lots yeah. of winning jokes here. Um, about, <laughs> anyway, but, um, but um, regardless, um, like getting, it's amazing how we feel so divided in the music industry as, as independents um, that we never feel like we get anything properly done. And, uh, and as a consequence, you feel constantly dismayed at your lack of progress. And so it's almost like work on one thing until you, that what's your next one thing that you really need to get done um, and work your butt off at that um, to get that done and get that done well. Um, and, uh, and once you get that done, then move on to the next thing. And obviously you're going to have to either go to your day job or your gigs and you're going to have to do other things. But like come back to the one thing and hammer on that one thing until it's done. Um, and, um, and that to me gets you in a mentality of completion and winning, which, um, gives you inherent motivation to go, go forward. Um, another huge thing that has made a big difference, um, in my life is a thing called the miracle morning, um, which is where you incorporate basically all of the morning rituals of all the most successful people, um, in the world, um, into one theoretically an hour, but it usually takes me about two or so hours um, every morning. And if you have to get up earlier, you do it. And I would recommend listening to some interviews with the Miracle Morning Guy. His voice is kind of jarring to some people, but 
Um, but the point is amazing, which is just like you are setting yourself up to win for the whole day. Um, and it incorporates meditation. It incorporates reading. It incorporates um, what else? Is in, I do it every morning. You think I remember exercise. Uh, it incorporates um, journaling um, and visualization and affirmations into one like super power packed theoretical hour um, every morning. And you, I, I can't even explain it. I started doing it at the beginning of this year and I am probably getting two to three times as much done in a given day as I was before. Um, so that is phenomenal. And it just really gets you in the mentality of winning in your life again, that winning thing. Winning. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, those are a couple of my, my best ideas. Um, and also just work, knowing you're working on the next most important thing to you now um, kind of gives it some expedience um, as well. So, yeah. Those are great tips. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ashton Lux Luce's host of On the Record, and it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep On the Record on the air for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring on the record you can contact me at ashram at on the record dot rocks that's ashram a-s-t-r-u-m at on the record dot rocks to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you help us keep on the record on the air one more year never has there been a better time for women to hack success the shift is on and the breakthroughs are real we're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A-game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back, and we're speaking with singer-songwriter extraordinaire Elise Black on the record. So how does one deal with, because um, I, I tend to fall into this trap where I look at the big picture yeah. and then I just go, oh, holy crap. Like, yeah. where do I even begin? Like, you know, I yeah. want to do this and this and this. And, uh, and then I start thinking about all the money I need to do that and that and where am I going to get that? And then I just become yeah. like stuck and you just stay in this place. Um, yeah. What 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 do you do when you look at the big picture and feel overwhelmed and then get sort of uh, like a deer in the headlights? Gosh, it definitely changes depending on what the particular situation is. Um, well, like let's again, maybe with, let's talk about maybe your your Kickstarter campaign because you raised thirty one thousand dollars and I'm looking at that mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my god, there's no way I could ever do that. I've got like mm-hmm. people on my that mailing was, list. That was an intense, <laughs> intense month. I played. Um, 20 shows in 26 days while doing radio interviews and um, media interviews and such as possibly as possible while running the Kickstarter um, on a tour um, with bands, with my kids alone. Um, and so that was a thing. I'm not going to lie. Um, but uh, what I knew 
what what I think really got me there, here's 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 that thing that I think would really help, is seeing how you worked your ass off, you could short-term get to something that long-term would help you a lot. Um, and it would make a big difference. Like I knew if I rocked that Kickstarter, and I only had a time period, the time period helps, um, in which to do it. If I rocked that, that that would influence, you know, the rest of my life sort of thing. Um, and so I would roll out of bed back to in front of the computer. I had um, a friend who was with to help with the kids um, who, um, you know, would bring me coffee and make sure I was okay and, and ate. Um, and then I would roll straight from the computer into the car and work on my computer um, to continue spreading the word while um, someone drove to the venue um, and then get out, sound check, um, do a couple of social media check-ins, um, also, you know, towards the Kickstarter, um, play the show, go home, fall into bed, um, possibly promote the Kickstarter a little bit more before I go to bed, um, and then um, sleep five or six hours and then get up and repeat. And, um, and I wouldn't recommend that as a long-term lifestyle, but, um, <laughs> but I think that you, and by you I mean the metaphorical you, um, and specifically you, Astro, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're capable of insane things, and yet we let that uncomfortability um, scare us off and the question and the unknown that, yeah, you might fall flat on your face and make a fool of yourself. Um, and I don't recommend people set Kickstarter goals that are way too high. If you notice, I, the company that um, kind of coached me a little bit through the process, the name was Launch and Release, and they recommended that I set my, um, my goal at 15000 so that I could definitely exceed it. Because um, knowing that there's a good chance you might not make your Kickstarter goal will make you cry and um, and develop ulcers really fast. Like Kickstarters <laughs> are the most. I mean, geez, I already have enough bipolarity without them. Like they will bring out any smidgen of bipolarity you have and that you didn't even know you had. It's it's <laughs> it is emotionally so hard to ask for money. In addition, with the time um, constraints and uh, and everything. It's, it's just crazy. And you're putting your heart and soul out there. It's, it's, really, it's really hard. Um, that being said, um, nothing like something like that, if you do it right, to bring your people together around you um, and to get people committed to the, the project that you're working on. So, um, so super duper powerful and valuable um, for your career long term, for your career short term, for your ability to just make the project you want to make. Um, um, and and for your um, your confidence in the industry that people believe in you, um, but you don't throw a Kickstarter up there and just let it sit and hope that people find it. Like it just does not work. Um, that might work for a few big stars, but they still wouldn't raise anywhere near the amount that they should be able to raise um, if they do that. So uh, so it's 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 an insane amount of work. Um, I think the best. Yeah, I think the best way to get yourself to not be overwhelmed is to think of what one meaningful chunk could I get done in the next couple weeks that would make a significant difference. Um, and so, yes, know the big picture because you want that motivation there um, about, like, what if that were actually true? What if, what if I had that sort of thing? And that's why I think affirmations are so awesome is because it makes you experience 
like the thing that you want to have, but I also think they, they can handicap you because then you get that experience without actually having to do the work and the uncomfortability that has to come with anything that's worth having. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's my answer is, is a medium goal that would make a significant difference that you can make happen within a couple of weeks. Um, that will get you really motivated. I think um, it would still get you really excited because if it doesn't get you really excited, and this is a, a good point of the 10 X guy that I'm reading right now is, is basically if your goal doesn't have you like ecstatic to think like, wow, if I had that man, if your goal doesn't have you ecstatic, there's no way in hell you're going to put up with the uncomfortability and all the insane amount of work. And it will always take more work than you think it will. Um, mm-hmm. That needs to go into getting to where you want to go. But, you know, then you could just live in a trailer somewhere for the rest of your life and eat potato <laughs> chips and watch TV for the rest of your life and barely make it by. And, you know, that would be a living. It wouldn't be one I wanted to have. So I'm just saying, like, Let's go be remarkable, but to be remarkable, we have to do remarkable things, which is be willing to be uncomfortable and work hard. We're going to take a short break and check out The Story by Elise Black. All of these lines across my face tell you the story of who I am. So many stories of where I've been and how I got to where I am. I climbed across the mountain tops, swam all across the ocean blue, crossed all the lines, I broke all the rules, but baby I broke them all for you, because even when I was flat broke, you made me feel like a million bucks, yes you do. Oh 
And that was The Story by Elise Black. We are currently speaking with Elise Black, singer-songwriter extraordinaire, on the record. Let's talk a little about, about this remarkable thing, because I'm noticing this is like a theme now for you, that you, you're kind of, um, you're, you're wanting people to see the light inside of them, and, and as well as boosting your own light. And yeah. where did all that come from? Has that always been sort of in your life, or is it... Sort no, of new I, from all I, these yeah, I grew up very depressed um, and feeling very alone and, um, and feeling like I had to earn every bit of affection that I didn't deserve affection that, um, and I mean, I'm not trying to say by the way that I had a horrible home. I had what would externally be viewed as quite a decent home. Um, but, um, but through various things that went down, um, I definitely got the impression that um, something was fundamentally broken in me. And I, 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 it wasn't a question of whether or not people wanted me. It was a question of always asking, why don't you want me? Like it was the implied understanding that nobody wanted me. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, you get to be in middle school and, you know, you go through the regular middle school rigmarole of kids being jerks because they're hormonal and, um, and all that jazz. And, you know, if, if I'm projecting onto everybody else why they don't want me, it made me a huge pariah. And I already had issues with depression before that. So, um, you know, bipolarity really um, came out stronger and stronger. And, and I was a very sensitive, sensitive person. Um, and, uh, and that all led to someone who felt very emotionally shut down. Even though I was openly emotional, I wasn't allowed to be. Um, and um, so I was very, very depressed. And... Um, and felt very ashamed of myself. Um, and, uh, and so I met, um, I met my, my now husband um, in, <laughs> when did I meet him? 2002. Um, and, uh, and he was the first person, my parents tried very hard to love me, and they were very good people. But, um, but he was the first person who literally said, warts and all, like no matter what, you were what I want. And, um, and that shook me really hard. And then when we decided to have kids and those kids, you know, just looked at me like I was the coolest thing ever. I'm not suggesting anybody have kids for therapy, but, um, but I do, um, I do think that finding people who love you for exactly who you are will transform your life. Um, and, um, mine just happened to be the one I decided to, partner with and the ones that came out of me. Um, but, um, but I've seen people do it with friends and um, we're kind of creating a family, a new family around them, um, no matter what the intentions of your original family might have been. Um, so, um, so that changed me, like that unconditional, no matter what love completely changed me. And I'm not going to say that I'm 100% not bipolar now, but my bipolarity is um, mitigated drastically by a constant source of love. And it's not like they won't call me out if I, you know, mess up, um, but just a constant source of it doesn't matter if you mess up, I'm still here sort of thing. Um, I don't know, that just changed my life and it changed my music. And I noticed that once I came out um, of the closet, if you will, about being a mom, which I was very, very nervous about, I assumed my whole career was over when I got pregnant. Um, 
And, um, and that was terrifying to me because I felt like I had worked so hard on it and what was I going to do then? And uh, once I came out of the closet about that and, um, and admitted that I was one of those people I used to make fun of who was absolutely and completely um, nuts about their kids and, um, and would from now on be posting excessively on Facebook about them um, <laughs> and all that embarrassing stuff, um, it really drew people to me on the level of authenticity because whatever your truth is, um, speaking it and finding a way around to communicating your humanity draws people to you, I think, as an artist because they're scared to communicate the rawness of their humanity. Um, so when you say embarrassing things about yourself, not from a self-denigrating point, but from a recognizing the humanity in yourself point, um, people are, are drawn to that. Um, and it, people started telling me that being around me, let alone when I sang, um, made them feel wrapped in warmth, that it made them feel like the world was okay. It made them feel lighter. It made them feel happier that I seemed to glow and that I made the people around me glow. Um, and it really came from the standpoint of finally looking into myself and saying, you are wonderful exactly like you are with all of your broken bits, because believe me, I have plenty of them, um, because I had people around me recognizing those things and seeing that and being that way to me. I had that fire in me now to share that with people through my music and, uh, and through, through my presence. Um, and, uh, and I would tell lots of embarrassing, fun stories about myself on stage um, that, you know, I'm sure would make any of my family members cringe, um, et cetera. Um, or me in a previous life cringe too. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Just feeling like, I had, I now recognized my own light and knew how to stoke it and make it bigger and to help light the way for others out of darkness because I had been in that darkness um, and, and knew what it was like to, to wonder if, if life would always be like that. Uh, so I wanted to be a light, a light to lead people out of the dark. And I knew that it wasn't just me, that we all had that capability and um, that I wanted to show other people that they had that capability. And that if, I mean, if we all, I know this is crazy talk and I just don't even care, um, that if we all on this whole planet knew of that light within ourselves um, to make the world brighter and to make um, the world, to make um, the lives around us brighter and to, to do good, that, you know, it would drastically reduce, if not erase, you know, child abuse and ISIS attacks and, you know, just everything. And that, that the, best way that I knew, given who I am and the talents I have and the soul and spirit that I have, was to be as bright of a light as possible and to, um, to encourage others to be that bright light. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Astrum Lux Luce's host of On the Record. And it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep on the record, on the air, for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On the Record. You can contact me at Ashram at ontherecord.rocks, that's Astrum, A-S-T-R-U-M, at ontherecord.rocks, 
find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep on the record, on the air, one more year. Hi, I'm Dr. Mae Seibel, a leading authority on women's wellness and menopause. When my wife Sharon had her ovaries removed to prevent cancer, she was immediately thrown into early menopause. She needed estrogen to relieve her symptoms, but her doctors weren't sure if it was safe or if it would cause breast cancer. I had to know the truth. After years of research, I discovered there was an estrogen window, a window of opportunity to take estrogen that lowers disease risk and increases estrogen's effectiveness on symptoms. I realize there are millions of other women who are also confused and fearful of taking estrogen. That's why I wrote The Estrogen Window, which just hit number one bestseller status on Amazon. Find out what women are so excited about. Order your copy now at estrogenwindowbook.com. And we're back, and we're speaking with singer-songwriter extraordinaire Elise Black on the record. I I like that you mentioned the authenticity part because um, I think if you look at artists that have longevity, it's because that they're authentic. You know, on so many levels, they're authentic as people, they're authentic in their art, and they're not sort of putting on this celebrity face, but they're they're just being who they are. And yeah. I think that's that's lacking in a lot of today's music. So it's it's good to Definitely. see. Definitely, and and sort of almost the, like the, you need to be even more yourself than you've ever known how to be. Um, yeah, that you need to take yourself and you need to admit to the most naive, brightest, um, idealistic things you believe, and to the darkest, most um, depressing and scary things you believe, and just own up to all of it, and then own up to your quirks and own up to your power and your beauty and your um, physically and internally, obviously. Um, And once you own up to all of it, then you can, you can use your own self as tools to draw other people to you from the standpoint of what they connect to. Um, And I'm, I, I don't mean it in a really manipulative way. I mean, actually in the exact opposite of that in that you are taking your own more authentic self and um, and finding people in the world who get that and um, and you're you're connecting on something that mattered more than what everybody else told you was you and why are you pretending sort of thing um, mm-hmm. because I know that I definitely felt like I was being what other people wanted for a long time and that once I finally said I don't give a flying whether you think I'm being authentic or not this is my truth and my truth is ridiculous and funny and very serious and soft and hard all at the same time. And, and so, um, and I can be that and it not be contradictory because humans are freaking contradictory as I'll get out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Elise, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I could talk to you for another hour or two. Um, <laughs> but we are unfortunately nearing the end of the show and I would sure. like to save a little bit of time because you have so much wisdom to share. If you could, squeeze out one more bit of final words of wisdom for us, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. For sure. Um, I think that it's really easy to pursue um, people who are further along in the industry than you 
from a standpoint of they're further along and they can do something for you. Um, and I, I will not deny that working with Eric and, um, and working with Matt Chamberlain and a couple of other ones I've worked with um, has drastically changed my career. But the place that, that I was able to connect with them on was literally finding someone who had done something so awesome that I was just in respect and awe and figuring out how, what I could offer to them um, and, and coming to them from a standpoint of respect and generosity as much as I had anything to give. Um, I think that that is what allowed me to connect with those people and building up, just being willing to do the damned work before, between now and then, you know, with the Kickstarter, with the building your social media presence, with the actually just getting to be damned good at your music, whatever your thing is, um, and, um, and mediocrity in the music, you know, will shine through um, regardless. And yes, you can cite some people who are questionable musicians who are doing really well, but they're the exception. Most people who are doing really well are actually insanely talented musicians. So, um, so putting in the work um, and knowing that if you put in the work and you're true to the thing, um, be it spreading the word or um, or being a damn good musician and being being the most authentic self you can, that you will get somewhere, and that somewhere will be closer to who you want to be, and not um, not just get overwhelmed and give up on it. So that was a incredibly verbose way of saying, be authentic, work hard, and then ask from a place of authenticity when you do ask to work with people who are above you. sunrise from a tropic isle Just remember darling all the while You belong to me See the marketplace in old Algiers Send me Till your dream appears You belong to me I'll be so alone without you Maybe you'd be lonesome too
Belong to Me by Elise Black. Hey, this is Ashram Lux Luce's host of On the Record, and it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep On the Record on the air for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On The Record. You can contact me at ashram at ontherecord.rocks. That's ashram, A-S-T-R-U-M, at ontherecord.rocks to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep On The Record on the air one more year. Never has there been a better time for women to hack success. The shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A-game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week.